Well, amen. Let's give applause for our Lord. Wonderful worship this morning. What a wonderful name it is. If you'll turn your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we're going to read the first four verses. And when you get turned there, if you'll stand with me as we read the Word of God here this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 through 4. And I'll be reading out of the NLT. It says, Now regarding your question, in which the church in Corinth had wrote Paul with many different questions, so we get an idea of what the questions were, but we definitely get to see how Paul answers them. About the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. And when I come, I will write, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you chose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. And as we dive into your word, as we're challenged by your word, I pray that we'll let your spirit, through your word, speak to us and show us and lead us and guide us and even convict us and encourage us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There were two men who end up shipwrecked on an island. The minute they got on the island, one of them started screaming, we're going to die, there's no food, there's no water, and he is screaming for his life. But the other man was sitting up against a palm tree very calmly, and he looked at the man who was freaking out and said to him, don't worry, I make $100,000 a week. The man, being already hysterical, goes, who cares how much money you make? We have no food, we have no water, and he starts to freak out even more. And he says, listen, don't worry, don't worry, I make $100,000 a week. And this makes him even angrier hearing it the second time. And so the man goes, no, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I tithe 10% of that each week. I tithe $10,000 to my church. Trust me, my pastor will find me. <laughs> he will find me. I don't preach much on giving. Sometimes I'll add it into a sermon um, or on tithing. And there's some different views on that in the Christian world. But... Um, it, today, if I had to put a title on this, technically the title is Seven Principles of Christian Giving, which that's really what the sermon is about, but if I had to just put a title on this, this is a sermon about money. <laughs> this is a sermon about money, and probably not a completely fair statement, because there's so much that the Bible does have to say about money. Um, in fact, of the 29 parables Jesus um, preached and shared and taught, 16 of those 29 parables had to deal with money, with people and their money and their relationship to money. Uh, one out of every six verses in the New Testament touches on the subject of money. If there's, two, if there's a subject, one of two subjects that people can get very sensitive about very, very quickly, it's their children and money. In fact, probably one of the top misquoted Bible verses that we see uh, people make is they will say that money is a root of all evil. No, no, no. It's not what the Bible says. It says the love of money is a root of all evil. And so it's not that we have money. Money is very useful, but how do we use it? In fact, I think what we see biblically when you read through the Bible is that God gives us money, our jobs, our salaries, the things to us. Really, it's a test of the heart. That's what it is. Now, now, maybe you're watching or you're here for the first time. It's your first time in a long time. And you're like, really? The preacher's preaching about money? And I, it's, I'm just now getting back in the church? Well, yes, you picked the perfect day to come because I don't preach often on this. Maybe I should preach more on it. No one said amen. All right, we'll just preach today and we'll go from there. 
But it's an important subject. And I believe what God gives us is a test of what we can handle and what we'll do. And we're faithful in the little things. We'll be faithful in the greater things. And I'm going to give you a little background here, though, of what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 16. And Paul is writing about taking up collections in the church. He makes an abrupt transition from chapter 15. Chapter 15 is wonderful. It's awesome. It's, it's about the resurrection. It's about, and, and, and Paul almost goes from talking about the resurrection to giving like that in a moment. Now, around the 12th, 13th century is when they added chapters in the Bible and verses. Now, we like our chapters and verses, right? When I say John 3, 16, we're like, yeah, I know that one. But before the 13th and 12th century, they didn't go turn your Bibles to John 3, 16. There was no John 3.16. Now, there was the verse that we know as John 3.16. They just read the whole thing. And so here in 1 Corinthians was really just the letter to Corinth. It was the first letter given to them. And so he goes from death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Let's talk about tithing. <laughs> so he changes very quickly. He shifts gears. And money is a major issue, not only here in 1 Corinthians, but throughout the New Testament. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like I mentioned, one out of six verses deals with money. Paul speaks of the collection being taken up in the churches to help the afflicted church in Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting that Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, needs help. The church in Jerusalem was a church that had, I guess you could say, the best speakers, the best teachers. At one point, they had plenty of money. In fact, kind of the view of the church in Jerusalem, when they end up thinking about Gentile churches, was like, we really don't want to deal with the Gentile churches. And here, we see it flipped. We see this Gentile church in Corinth taking up a collection to help out this church in Jerusalem. Now, what happened in the church in Jerusalem? One thing that happened, and it wasn't their fault, there was a famine in the land, there was a drought, and it affected them greatly, as it would any church. But they also were being persecuted. See, the church in Jerusalem, they had, like I mentioned, some of the best speakers, some of the best teachers. They had um, the apostles there. I mean, who, wouldn't, who would want to leave that? But Jesus had given them a command that I want you to take the gospel. I want, you to leave, I want you to preach it across the world. I want you to preach it in your state. I want you to preach it in your backyard, in your country. But there's, there's a world that needs to know about the gospel. And they weren't, they weren't moving. And so God's like, well... When my children, who are not moving and not listening to my command, when my church isn't listening, he turns up the heat. And he turned up the heat, this church in Jerusalem. And so to get them where they needed to go, where the Spirit was leading, he made things uncomfortable for them. And now this church, this church was, um, was suffering and needed help. And so they took up an offering. They're going to take it to this church in Jerusalem to help them. But if you remember the book of Acts, and specifically Acts 10, where God tells Peter in a vision, in a dream, which had to deal with the unclean animals of the Old Testament coming down on the sheet, and the Lord letting Peter know, you can now eat this. You can eat bacon, crispy, beautiful bacon. You can eat it. There's no dietary regulations now. But it was deeper than just you can eat this now. He was telling Peter, Peter, I'm moving. I'm going to use the Gentiles to take the gospel. I'm going to use them in a great way. It's not that God won't use Jewish people to take the gospel. But overall, the nation of Israel and the, and, and the Jewish people as a whole have rejected the gospel. I'm going to use the Gentiles. And so that's what Acts 10 is about. And, and, and there's a lot that's packed into the book of Acts. In fact, there's 38 years packed into the, the book of Acts. And uh, God is moving. God is uh, using different people. And he's using this Gentile 
church. And, and with this Gentile church, we see a beautiful picture of the oneness, the oneness of the church. And I'm getting some feedback here on this monitor there, if we can get that. I'm hearing something on it. Thank you. And so this is what I want to first see in the seven principles of Christian giving. In this sermon about money. What do we do as believers? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about tithing? Is tithing for today? Is it not for today? What did they do in the Old Testament? What did they do in the New Testament? And though you really could spend a lot of study on this and, and, and dive deep. Um, there's some things we'll dive deeper on than others, but, but we'll definitely uh, uh, quote where you can go and dive deeper if you like. But here's number one, is we give generously. We give generously. And that's what we're called to do as believers. Some of the most generous givers are Christians. And and listen, many will look at the church and they'll try to look at the bride of Christ and they will try to pinpoint what's wrong with her. They'll try to point out all her faults and her, her issues. But listen, Christ died and bled for the church. And by the way, there is no perfect Church, if you find a perfect church, stay away from it. You're going to mess it up. Every one of us, there's no perfect church. This church isn't a perfect church. My children aren't perfect, but I love them. My children aren't perfect, but I see their good qualities. And in life, in life, it's not that we ignore sin. It's not that we ignore false doctrine. I don't want to paint this, and we're, we're always so optimistic that we never deal with issues or problems but look at the positive side of the church and so many things that it does and one thing that i love about the church in this church is its generosity and see this was not advice that was given just to the church in corinth notice what it says in verse one now regarding your question about money being collected for god's people in jerusalem you should follow the same procedure i gave to the churches in Galatia. This wasn't the only church that Paul had wrote. This wasn't the only church that Paul had given instruction to when it came to a collection on the first day of the week, Sunday. So he says, set aside a portion. They were paid every day during that time. And so today people are paid weekly or biweekly or monthly. And Paul was not imposing some special obligation on the church in Corinth. Everywhere he went, wherever he planted, he taught Christians to give. You see, sharing, sharing is not an option. Sharing is essential. And Jesus said this. He said, freely you receive, freely give. And if you have not received anything from the Lord, then then do not give anything. But if you've been blessed by him, you should give accordingly. Sometimes people ask, well, how much should I give? Should I give 5%? Should I give 10%? Should I give 50%? What should I give? And and that's a question that, at the end of the day, only you can answer. But when it comes to giving financially, when it comes to giving of our time, money, and resources, what we give will be returned back to us in some form or fashion. And it's a principle that we see in Luke chapter 6. Now, I have it here on the screen, I believe, Luke chapter 6, verse 37 and 38. Now, I want to be clear. This passage isn't just talking about money. It includes money. It includes giving financially, but includes also of giving of our time, money, and and resources. Notice the principle and what it says here. It says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, and you will, you, you will come back, it will come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap, and the amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. And so Jesus is using an example that's around him at that time of grain that would go in a basket of being pressed down that you could fit more you could fit more even in it and so when it comes to when we choose kindness when we choose generosity and we choose compassion over criticism or hate or greed these qualities come back to us it's a principle of sowing and reaping right going a principle of what goes around comes around 
And we see here in 37 that if you're not willing to forgive, are people going to be willing to forgive you? It appears not. If you're always condemning others, you're going to be condemned as well. If you're always one speaking bad of other people, people are going to speak bad of you. My grandmother had a saying that whoever brings a tale takes a tale, talking about gossip, right? It is true. And so in our lives, in our lives, what we give, this principle of what we give of our time, money, and resources, be pressed down and given back to us. Now, we see, we see today, we see, or maybe even in our own minds, we think, but I would have to, that would be inconvenient for me to serve. That would be inconvenient for me to kind of take a step of faith and kind of stretch my gifts and abilities. I'm comfortable right where I'm at. And we like to take the path of least resistance. But it's in those times in which we're missing out on the blessings in which God has for us. So we give generously. And when you're generous, people will be generous to you. Here's number two, is we give consistently. When we see here with this church in Corinth on the first day of the week, this is one of the first indications the New Testament saints uh, gathered uh, for worship, uh, for fellowship on Sunday, the first day of the week. Jesus fulfilled the law. We're not underneath the law. In fact, one of the commandments, there's only one commandment of the Ten Commandments Jesus didn't mention. It was about remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's not that Jesus is anti-rest. It's not that he's, he's anti-having um, a day in which we, we put aside. But Sunday, we celebrate on Sunday because of something so impactful. When someone's been dead in the grave three days and comes back to life, I think that's probably, and, and he's God, I think that's worth noting. And when we meet on Sunday morning and we worship, we don't worship on Saturday, we worship on Sunday, that's why. The resurrection was so powerful, the early church was like, you know what? Jesus fulfilled the law. He, resur he resurrected on Sunday. If there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. We're not meeting here, folks, if Jesus didn't come back and, and uh, back alive out of the grave. We're not celebrating Easter. We're not Why do we meet on Sunday? The resurrection is enough of a reason to meet on Sunday. And so, Paul's first day of the week, give consistently, and we should. We have consistent paychecks. We should be giving consistently, and it's something that we should make a habit in our life. You know, good habits today will determine your success for tomorrow. That's all of our habits, whether it's giving, whether it's working out, or whether it's eating right, or whether it's a hobby you have, or something you want to start playing, developing a skill. Good habits today will determine your success for tomorrow. Here's number three. There's seven points. Some of these are quick, right? Some of you got scared when I mentioned seven points, when I said seven, you know, preachers, but it's give personally. He's, Paul says you should each give. God doesn't leave anyone out. Teach your children to give. Teach your children to be givers. Listen, if you're uh, the best time to start giving and start seeing how God provides and you get to be a part of, of, of what God is doing is when you're a teenager, get your first job, your first paycheck, and you realize, what are these, what's this out of my paycheck? It's called taxes. You know. You see those taxes taken out. You suddenly view the world a little bit differently, don't you? But even that first paycheck, start tithing. Start tithing then. Start giving. Make God a part of your budget. Every Christian should. Teach your little children. Give them an allowance. Teach them how to give. Teach them we're called to be givers. We give personally. It's something that we personally do. It's a good habit that of giving that should form. And listen, moms and dads, when your children see you giving and giving to the church, spending your time, money, and resources to further the kingdom of God, it makes an impact on them. Now, for some, the idea of giving consistently um, induces involuntary seizures of, what do you mean? Like, what? Me? Like, I, I, I need to give? And yes, but, but, but preacher, if I were to give 10% or 15% or 5% or whatever I end up giving, I, I'm going to have to rearrange my budget around this. 
Exactly. You get to arrange your budget around God. Think about that. God did that on purpose. Because he knows that the money that's given to us is a test. It's a test. And that's something that we all should be a part of. You get to rearrange your giving around the Lord. Here's number four. Is give proportionately. This means you should give according to the way God has given to you. Has he poured out an abundant blessing? Then give abundantly. If you are just barely getting by, um, then the gift may be reduced proportionally. When Jesus saw the poor widow donate two copper coins worth a fraction of a penny, it was all that she had. And he looked at his disciples, and this is what he told them. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more money into the treasury than all the others. And unlike this widow, you ought to give something even if you are poor. But remember that God is not interested in as much the dollar amount. It's interested in the motivation of your heart. And you may ask, but didn't God agree that we should give a tithe? The word tithe itself means 10%. In the Old Testament, Israelites were told to tithe. The percentage was same, the same whether you were rich or poor. A poor man's tithe might be difficult to give. A rich man's tithe might, might not be missed for him. It may not be much of anything. Now, diving into this a little deeper, the New Testament example that we see is Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees knew the Old Testament, and the Pharisees were really focused on tithing even. They would tithe even their 10% of their spices. I mean, down to the T. They were like right on the money, right? They, like they were, they, the fruits, the money, like all of it, they were tithing to the T, and it was almost like a, something to brag about. But yet, their hearts were far from God. And Jesus, as he's dealing with these Pharisees, he goes right to the heart. <clears throat> this is what he says. And he also mentions this, he mentions this in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. And Matthew 23, 23 mirrors this right here, what we're about to read. This is what he says. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even in the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus here is affirming the tithe. Just as I mentioned in Matthew, yes, you should tithe. Just as in the Old Testament, yes, you should tithe. And these guys, these Pharisees were tithing, but their hearts were far from the Lord. You see, you can always give without love, but you cannot love without giving. Really, I want to say it again. You can always give without love. That's what the Pharisees were doing. But you truly cannot love without giving. And the principle in the New Testament is to give voluntarily to support the needs of others, to support Christian workers, to expand Christian outreach. We see this throughout the New Testament. And while a tithe or a tenth of one's income is a good standard for Christian giving, it is clear that early churches, church did not focus on that exact amount. Now, sometimes when people see this, they think, well, that means I should just automatically give less. And some do. But we see in the New Testament, when you read through it, you read of a group of people, a, such a move of God and the Spirit moving in a way that none of, us, none of us have ever seen or experienced. This was unique. In this early church, some of them had money, some of them did not. Some of them were kicked out of their communities and homes and families because they decided to follow Christ. The church did not have much money. And there were some people who would sell, because of they, they were richly blessed, they would sell land. They would sell some important possessions in order to support the church. And this was, you know, like in the Bible, it, sometimes the Bible is descriptive. And sometimes it's um, <clears throat> prescriptive. In other words, you should do this. Some things in the Bible, are just, this is what they did. And so this is not a message, okay, don't worry, of the preacher saying, you should sell everything you have. That's not what I'm saying here this morning. 
But what happened in the New Testament, it was such a move, it was so much going on, that what the early church did is some of them sold land and things they had to support each other. There was no government welfare to back them up. It was the church. And, 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 and a lot through history, you see a lot of that. I mean, the first hospitals were started by the church. The first education system was started by the church here in America. And, and, and we see the church doing, doing much. And there were sacrifices that were made for those things. And they sacrificed one for another. So some of them were giving all. What you won't see is this in the New Testament. You won't see anyone arguing or going, you know what, we should give less than the tenth. Or that we should tip God, or that God should not be a part of our budget. And I'm going to give you a little more background. When it comes to the tithe in the, New, in the Old Testament, some automatically will go to the fact that, well, tithe is really just a commandment in the law. <clears throat> it is in the law when you read the Old Testament. But in fact, the tithe predates the law. You see with Abraham. There's no law. He gives a tenth to the order of Melchizedek, who was a godly man. He's tithing and showing that as an example um, for us today. We also see, I believe it was Jacob who gave a tenth. You see examples of tithing a tenth before the law was even brought. Now, in fact, the law was actually more than just 10% in the law because God had a system set up. In fact, many countries, including our own, has adopted some of this. Um, they actually had three tithes in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 14, and Malachi 3, which totaled around 23% annually to fund the government, the national government of Israel, to take care of uh, public festivals, and also to provide welfare. And so if you're paying taxes today, some of you don't want to hear this, all right? I realize we pay price of more taxes than what we should. Let me reverse that. We pay more taxes than what we should. <laughs> taxes upon taxes upon taxes upon taxes. Some of you teenagers haven't learned that yet. There's just, anyway, it gets better. It, not really <clears throat> when it comes to your taxes. But some of the taxes in which we do pay, you could say are biblical, of helping people who need help. And when it comes to certain welfare, some people do milk that, we know that, but that is something biblical, it was something that they get really from the Old Testament of Israel. They had that set aside, of taking care of the government, public festivals, and providing welfare. So it equaled about 23%. And um, so... What is the New Testament teaching on giving? We should, and this is what, when you come down to it, pray about it. Determine what you need to do. What we can say is, is God a part of your budget? Now, maybe right now your finances are um, all over the place. In fact, maybe they're a tangled web and you really do need help. And there is help out there. Some of you have probably been through Financial Peace University or have heard of Financial Peace University. Some like Dave Ramsey, some don't. But there's some good stuff in there that will help get you on the right track to make a budget, to get focused, to get you and your spouse on the same page. Something that um, Dave Ramsey does mention, that, that, uh, which I think is kind of funny, is that usually you know, God puts a spender with someone who's really tight and they put them together and then God just laughs, right? There's probably a happy medium there in your, in your marriage you need to find. And, and God does that because he knows that some of us are, there's some money we do need to spend. You know, you've been wearing the same jeans for 20 years. Listen, you need to buy another pair of jeans. Probably three or four. You laugh because you know it's true. Some of you have t-shirts older than me right now. Yeah. I can't say much. I have some shirts that are older than my children. Find what you need to do. And here's what's interesting when it comes to this, uh, this standard, or when it comes to giving. The principle is this that we see in the New Testament. 
Give proportionally to the blessing you have received. Freely you have received, freely give. This is what some statistics say. Only 3 to 5% of Americans who give to the local church do so through regular tithing. In other words, 10%. 70% of those who tithe give 11 to 20% of more of their income, far more than the baseline, 10%. 97% of Christians who tithe make it a top financial priority to give to the local church. People are more likely to practice tithing when they begin to practice in their teens and early 20s. People who tithe regularly typically have less debt than most demographics. How interesting. If you are a member, listen, if you're a member here at Springboro Baptist Church, part of your duty as a member, as a churchman, now if you're not a member here, I'm not talking to you. If you're a member here, at Springboro Baptist Church, part of your duty, not, not me making it a duty for you, a biblical duty we see in Scripture, is you should be giving to the church. It should be a part of your budget. It's something you should be doing. Say, a preacher, I've done this, I've done that, I've made a mess. You need to, you need to pray about God. What do I need to be giving? And you need to be giving. If you're not, you are missing out on blessings on your life. And I don't mean like, hey, it, this is not like a TV preacher. I, I, I mean, some of the TV preachers boggle my mind. Give $10, God's going to sow, you sow that seed and he's going to give you 100 If you plant 100 then he's going to give you 1000 That's what I'm saying here this morning. But there are blessings in which you get to experience when you walk in faith. And when you walk in faith, and you're giving, and you're supporting your church, one, it shows ownership. At the end of the day, all of us here at Springboro Baptist, we're just stewards taking care of what God has given us. My little son, Grant, when we were at the last church, it was the only church he really knew. <clears throat> and Grant liked to go around, and I had, to, I, had to like, I had to correct him multiple times. He's not in here, so I won't embarrass him. But... He would go to somebody, and he would go, my dad's the boss. <clears throat> don't make my job more difficult, right? I just don't do that. At the end of the day, as a pastor, as a pastor here, and one of the pastors, we're, we're just stewards. This is not mine. This is not yours. This is the Lord's, and we take care of it to honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is all his. This goes for all the churches, right? Every church. We're just, we're just stewards, and I believe God looks over at our churches and that a body of believers who come together, who have different gifts and abilities, and he sees, well, if this church right here is giving up their time, money, and resources to further the kingdom of God, and they're loving people, they're reaching people, they're helping people grow in their faith he gives them more people i don't i don't think there's really a whole lot of secretness when it comes to church growth of when a church is doing what it should be doing collectively god says i'm going to bless this church even more and so he blesses so are you doing your part so we come together we do our part and listen like preacher I'm not, I haven't given to any church, and I'm not going to start today. And you're a member. And if you're not a member, I want to encourage you to be a member. I want to encourage you to come and be a part of this organization, of this church, that, that, that also gives locally as well. We give around 13 or so percent back into our community. Different, different organizations that we, which we help that help further the gospel. But I want, I want to say this, and I want you to think about it, okay? If, if you're like, I'm not giving anything, preacher. So let me ask you this. If you can trust God for your salvation, surely you can trust him with your wallet. And if you're like, I'm not going to give towards that, you're, you're not willing to give towards what the Lord bled and died for? and is coming back for God's answer for the world is the church he's given them something precious to share and that's the gospel 
Listen, he, he's, he's not using, he's not interested in using any other organization other than his church. And that's why my number one giving place that I give is the church. I want to share with you a story about a man locally. He's dead now. He's with the Lord. He was a Christian man. His name was Stanley Tam. Anyone who Stanley Tam is? He died last year, 107 years of age. And when I was, man, it's been, it's been a while, almost 30 years ago, when I was in a youth group, our youth pastor knew Stanley Tam, and I met him. And I'm going to read you something of when he was interviewed, not by me, but by somebody else. But I heard some of, some of this story from Stanley. And in 1934, as a young door-to-door salesman, Stanley Tam met a farmer's wife who told him about Jesus. Six weeks later, while in church, he placed his faith in Christ. And with $25 in his own pocket, plus $12 from his father, he launched the United States Plastic Corporation in Lima, Ohio. Stanley told me, told this interviewer, I started the business in 1936 and soon went broke. I was so discouraged. And when the Lord spoke to me, turn it over to me and I'll make it succeed. Um, He um, was on the fence about doing so, but he did. He gave it to the Lord. So Stanley legally made God the company's majority owner at 51%. And the company's stock God owned 51% of uh, the company's stock was, uh, was given to a nonprofit organization, which in turn gave all the earnings to God's kingdom. And Stanley believed that God wanted him to run the business with Stanley as the employee. And it turned out 51% wasn't enough. And Stanley, Stanley became, became familiar with the effective um, international ministry that he had heard was closing due to a lack of funds. So he contacted them. Guys, I'm getting like some buzzing here again. And um, he contacted them and said, if I could trust God to provide 50000 more per year to give to you, would you open the ministry back up? They said yes. And in their conversation over the phone, Stanley's voice grew animated, and he sounded half his 102 years of age. He told me, the ministry is still going, now in 42 countries. And I love that he said, we, where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. And when you give to God's work, you invest in his kingdom. You are thinking and acting like someone with a vested interest, Tam said. People used to tell me, Stanley, you're giving it all away. Why aren't you keeping it? And I told them, I'm putting it into the bank account in heaven. And Stanley told me about a meeting in South America in 1955 where he spoke and saw God work powerfully in people's lives. And he explained, God spoke to me and said, Stanley, if a soul is the most precious thing in the world, would you go back to the United States and turn your entire business over to me? And would you use the prophets to spread the gospel around the world? He said, well, I told the Lord, Lord, I already already gave you 51%. And he prayed about it. He thought about it. He struggled with it. He talked to his wife, Juanita, about it. He decided to give 100% of the profits to the Lord of his plastic company. And as you travel, as you travel, I believe it's on 75, I believe it is, you'll see a huge sign, this huge business, Christ is the answer. And he said, Lord, you can have it. I just want to be obedient. And he said, I think every Christian is in the full-time service, and everyone has a pulpit to preach the gospel. The pastor has a pulpit in the church. I have the pulpit in my business. And there's Stanley Tam. He's now with the Lord, and that's his business. And you go along, you can see that building, I believe, is still there today. Christ is the answer, and he is the answer. I'm thankful I got to meet Stanley and hear his testimony. Here's number five. We give freely and faithfully. 
Your motivation should be faithfulness, not manipulation. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, when I come, have no collections will be made. Why did Paul say that? Because Paul had a huge personality. He did not want to make them feel manipulated into giving. He didn't want to make them feel pressured into giving. He wanted them to have the joy of giving because they felt led by the Holy Spirit of God to knew that they were a part of something bigger than themselves. He wanted them to give generously. We do see today where many do feel manipulated. And I think it's tragic and shameful. There are times in which churches have manipulated people in the giving. I also will say this on the flip side. It's, it's, uh, it's shameful that maybe a pastor, I'm not speaking of myself today, but if they've been put in a position where they have to speak more on giving because of lack of giving, or ministries that may have to no longer be a part of the church because the people haven't given accordingly. See, Paul's goal wasn't to psych people up to give. He wanted giving out of a heart that was a love for the Lord. Because Paul knew that when we give, when we give, it keeps our hearts in line with God's will. Because it reminds us of what truly is important. And when our heart is in line with God's will, we will be givers of our time, money, and resources. Now, I want to say this because having been a pastor a while and been in church, sometimes people will go, well, I will give of my time and therefore I shouldn't have to give of any of my, any of my, my salary. And that's a mistake. One, it's not biblical. You will not find a Bible verse that says such a thing. You will find plenty of verses, plenty of illustrations of where we're called to give of our time, money, and resources. Every bit of it, part of it. Not just, I'll serve, but I won't, I won't give anything financially. And see, God has a financial system in place for his church. Not just to keep the lights on, though that's important. Not just to have heat, though we really are enjoying heat this morning. But to continue to further the kingdom of God. It's called, what we're called to is something that we're a part of. And I realize, I realize that sometimes when churches speak so much on money, they speak so much on money, one might go, that church only cares about your money. And I don't want anyone to feel that way this morning. And I don't want this message to come across as, and I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't think you will, but as a message that's trying to manipulate you to, or feel bad or guilty. If you feel convicted, I pray that you feel convicted because of what Scripture says, of what the Lord is doing in your life, not because I made you feel guilty. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to start giving. I'm not here to manipulate into giving. And in fact, if you give, that should not be a reason for you to try to manipulate it does happen from time to time in churches. I was a youth pastor in Indiana. If I were to name this company, the man who owned this company, you would probably know him. He was on commercials and such. But in this church in Indiana, before I was there, before I was a youth pastor there, the pastor who was now retired, his son was a pastor while I was there, but he was retired. And he told me a story once of, um, before I left, he said, don't let anyone ever manipulate you. Someone will one day. He said, I had this one man come in. The church really needed the money. We were really struggling. And this man, who was a wealthy man, a well-known man, basically make me a deacon. I'll give plenty of money. I want to involve a little more on some of the decision-making. Okay? And the pastor um, didn't have to think about it long. He knew what was going on. It wasn't just, hey, listen to some advice that I have. I think every pastor should listen to advice. I think every pastor should have accountability. I think every pastor should have a council of, of, of others around him that have wisdom, by all means. But this was about manipulation. And he said, we don't need your money. God will provide, and God will take care of you. I did have someone once tell me that 
preacher, you might want to rethink some of your messages and how you preach because we do pay your bills. I said, well, God pays my bills. And the day, not here, wasn't at this church. I'll rephrase that. Wasn't here, wasn't here, wasn't here. The day I have to change something biblically so one would pay my bills, well, first off, I'd rather just die. i just tell you that right now. I'm going to do what the Bible says and follow what God's Word says and not be manipulated. And so um, that person and I never got along for some reason. You can imagine why. And... And, and so sometimes some just give to manipulate or say, I'm going to further my business. Here's number six. I'm going to move on. Give reasonably. Receiving gifts should be done responsibly by people who are trustworthy, accountable, and dependable. Notice what it says in verse three and how Paul puts this. When I come, I write letters to recommendation of the messengers. You choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. So Paul's like, hey, Paul's, Paul wants to make it clear. I'm not interested in you getting... Uh, uh, handing me over a big gift so no one can accuse me of enriching myself. I want you to choose the messengers who you want to send to help this church in Jerusalem. And what is Paul setting up? He's saying there needs to be accountability here. Every church should have accountability. If you're new here, you don't know how things work here. Listen, none of the pastors count the money here. We overlook, we, yes, we overlook everything. We see what God's doing. We see where, where stuff's going. But we do not over, we don't count the money here. There are some churches Pastors count the money. Listen, I want to encourage you. They might be a good person, but don't ever put a pastor in a position to count money. You need to have accountability. We have a budget here. We have a setup here. We have accountability. We have, we have our admin team. We have, we have it set up here in a certain way and as it always should be in every church. Every church. And so if the offering is good today. It's not that Pastor Lucas gets to go to Hawaii tomorrow. Or if the offering's good today, we're eating steak today. No. That's not how it works. We have accountability here. We have a system. We have a setup. So we give responsibly. And if, man, I have, I've, I've experienced not from seeing my parents have to deal with a pastor stealing money and un- uncovering that and dealing with that. Some of you have probably experienced some things where there wasn't accountability in church. If there's no accountability in a church, listen. Either make it happen and there's accountability, and if there's a pushback from accountability, you need to find a different church. I hate saying that, but it does happen. And so accountability is good. So we give responsibly. We handle the money which God gives us here at Springboro Baptist Church. We handle it with accountability and correctness and try to stretch every dollar which God gives us for his glory. Here's number seven. We Faithful giving will be rewarded. We'll end with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, and verse 6 through 10. It says, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I have been boasting to the churches of Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. And remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. We all will stand before the Lord. And we'll give an account on how we have spent our time, our money, 
our gifts, abilities, and resources. You get this one life, this one time. What God gives us is a test. It's a test to see if you'll be faithful. It's a test to see if you're willing to invest in others. To further the kingdom of God. To love and to help people. And when we give, it keeps our heart in line with God's will. Let us pray. God, thank you. Thank you for giving us the ability to give. Lord, I pray that as long as we're able, that each of us will give of our time, money, and resources. There are many things in which we can easily waste our money on. We can easily get so focused on ourselves that we become greedy, maybe even without realizing it. And I pray that there's a believer here that they'll realize the importance. Realize the importance of giving and making you a part of their budget in their life. That they will realize that they can trust you not just with their salvation, but also can trust you with their pocketbook. God, we love you. We thank you for blessing us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said, amen.